Hello everybody, how are you doing? This is S. Anthony Thomas, this is the S. Anthony Thomas Show. And on this episode, I talk to old friend and funny man Bob Carbo about the comedy business, road gig horror stories, and why Bob decided to leave the world of stand-up comedy and concentrate on acting. It's a good episode. I know because I was there. (laughs) So are you ready? Of course you are. Let's do it. in as a matter of fact good sir you are in how the hell did that happen so uh are we are we doing this is this it <laughs> as a matter of fact it is see this is the problem see i have see this is what i get for making fun making friends with you iphone people <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know it's just it's just a piece of you know chinese slave made crap that we have to use now i guess it all is now right as indeed, well, for, for everybody listening, this is my friend Bob Carbo. Hello, act, actor, director, uh, comic, schmuck. And, and you know, I wasn't going to let them, I was going to let them figure it out themselves. Uh, <laughs> still, still alive, apparently, despite the good works of our, you know, asshole president. Wow, it started already. And they say, Yes, he says, Right to business, right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm a New Yorker, so we've known about this asshole. We try, we tried to warn the rest of you guys, or the rest of them guys, or someone, but nobody listened to us. You know? How did you? It was, it was, it was really weird because I haven't been to uh, New York, even though I'm like right there, one state away. I haven't been to New York in a while, um, and it was really weird watching what happened to New York because I know a lot of my friends, including yourself, obviously, are, are up in New York. And it was it was like watching a friend get sick, <laughs> literally. You know, I mean, like, I mean, obviously people got sick, but I mean, just watching the city just get really sick. Well, you know, no one's in the street and all these kind of things. I, I live in I live in Queens, so if you know anything about New York, you know, Queens is the most culturally culturally diverse county in the country. But I live in a very quiet section of Queens, and I really haven't gone anywhere for the past six months. I haven't been in Manhattan since February. So I just watch television and, you know, watch the horror unfold like it's some, you know, bad sci-fi reject straight to DVD movie, you know. But yeah, um, but yeah no, I, I haven't been in the city. I mean, around here, it's generally quiet. And the funny thing is, it, I didn't even notice much. I mean, early on, you know, the roads were pretty empty and... You didn't see a lot of people out, but but sort of quickly, people got the idea. Of, you know, as long as we stay away from people, we're okay. And you know, and that's what's been going on. I mean, I try to go for walks and stay, you know, a des- distance. And I'm definitely a masker. I'm not. I'm not a luddite. I'm not one of these have some weird political agendas. I mean, and I'm lucky. I had some N95 masks. I didn't even know what they were. I had them because I go into a lot of dusty places. So they're great. I mean, they're not good for trying to exercise, but you know, if you if you don't want to get anything, they're good. You know. Yeah, it's it's really weird because like you and I haven't the last time we actually were physically in the same place. Oh God, it was a long time ago. <laughs> was it was it that horrible spaghetti warehouse? As a matter of fact, it was the oh magnificent spaghetti warehouse. And for those of you listening, spaghetti warehouse was a comedy show in the back of a place, surprisingly enough, called 
the spaghetti warehouse. It was so uh, bizarre, wasn't it? Was it a chain or a chain let? Were, were there were a few. There were a few of them, right? Yeah, they were actually. I think it was one in Pittsburgh or something like that. And, and they were uh, bizarre because do you remember they were these huge vaulted? It was, you can't even. It was like a warehouse. And they split it up into different rooms, and the ceilings were like 30, 40 feet. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> and they yeah. had, you know, old advertising on the wall. You know, they tried to make it look fun. And the food was awful. And I just remember the deal they had for the comics was hysterical. It was mm. 50% off shitty pasta. I mean, they couldn't they- even give you a free plate of pasta. You had to pay 50%. It was hilarious because you see, here's the thing, and I, I and I because I, I went in there, and you know, as people who did comedy for long periods of time, we've been to many, many places, uh, had many, many different types of cuisine. I'll oh, put yeah. it that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, for those of you listening, a lot of times when the comic comes in, uh, unless, unless you're some kind of big time or you know somebody, it's almost like, look, scum, get in here, sit down, here's some gruel, shut up go on the stage, do your little skits, and get out. Right. Well, the best is the comic menu. That was always the most fun because <laughs> it basically, you know, said cold sandwich or used hamburger or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it was, and it's really weird because, and the thing about it is if you mix in a couple of good gigs, because I went to places where I walked in and it was like they rolled the red carpet out for you because you know, you're on the show. Mr. Thomas, oh, come on in. Oh, and they have like a person walk you around and here's where the room is and here's where the club is. And you get, oh, what are you talking about? Of course, you're not going to get a bill. And and, 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 and you, get, you get some of those and then the next week it's at a place where you're like, hi, I'm the comic. Die, scum. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, did a, I did a gig and I did, I did some really horrible road gigs. I'm sure you did too. I did this one yeah. in Western Pennsylvania. Mm. That was the biggest trip. I mean, look, you're in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a big state and it's a mm. great state, but it's a really weird state. I mean, Eastern Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, that's like the difference between like Narnia and Oz, you know, or mm-hmm. the difference. And Western, I just remember driving around and there were these houses and they had these like hand painted signs. We'll, we'll clean your deer for meat. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like, wow, holy moly. That's, that's, that's crazy. So the gig, the gig was at this, I guess, a VFW hall or whatever it was. And, and it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I, okay. I, I'm going to, I'll tell you the whole thing. It's just, okay. So the food, it was this huge bowl of chili or this, and this huge bowl of potato salad. It was all made by the local people. It was deer chili. Mm-hmm. It was chili made out of the deer meat that they, they, I guess, you know, cleaned for people's deers. They kept some meat aside and they made chili. Mm-hmm. And it was just bizarre. I, I tried it. It was, uh, it like tasted like chili. I mean, they put a lot of spices in it and everything. Okay. So I was featuring and it, it was a long time ago and I did okay. 
you know, they really didn't get me. I mean, okay, so I used to have an act and my name was Angry Bob. So it was like an angry act, but it was more than that. I did a lot of my own weird stuff, you know. I did one-off stuff. I, You know, there's this thing with comedy where you have to, like, do the same joke for 20 years until you want to blow your brains out. <laughs> and I used to like to just do new stuff all the time. And anyway, so they, they, they were nice. You know, they bought my CDs. The the um the headliner was a black comic who apparently the head the, there was a headliner and he bowed out at the last minute and they got this guy he was from the south and he'd never been as north as he drove so he was a southern guy and he's like the, I see him he's a really nice guy and he's like saying wow I've never been this north he said is this what the north is like. And I'm like looking around and it's like something out of deliverance. And I'm like saying, well, not my North, but I guess. So anyway, so he did really well. He had a really, he'd been doing it for a long time and, and they loved him. And so we're at, we're at the table afterwards selling our stuff and, and people are buying some of my stuff. I think I got some pity sales yeah. and, and he, they're, 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 buying stuff from him they're taking pictures with him they're posing with him and remember it's an all white audience and like almost like an appalachian white if you know what i mean yes i do at some point at some point i leaned into him and i said wow it's like they've never seen a black guy before and this woman said really loudly no we haven't And, and I looked at the guy and we both had this look like, oh, my God. And he had this scared look on his face. And, and again, everyone was super nice. But, mm-hmm. but just the way they were like fawning all over him, it sort of freaked him out. And, you know, we had to stay in the hotel. The hotel was like the shady rest. It was in the middle of the woods. It was the scariest thing. And he said to me, he says, hey, look, when we go back to the hotel, can I, you know, follow you? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Because even I was getting creeped out. Uh, So we go back to the hotel. And there was a guy, you know, the the clerk. He's like, oh, you guys are the comics? Were you really funny? And then he turns to the guy, he goes, say, you were a black comic? Did you tell black jokes? And, you know, I, I don't think he was being racist <laughs> or rude. He really was just, like, amazed to see a black guy. And, uh, and, and we walked to our rooms, and the guy said, hey, look, do me a favor. Just hang out with me a little bit. I'm really freaked out. And I said, dude, mm. you have no idea how I'm freaked out, too. So we hung out in his room. We watched TV a little bit. We talked. He was, again, a really nice guy. And he said he worked, like, the Southern Circuit, and he got the last-minute call. So he said, um, all right, but if you hear anything, like any banging, you know, because our room's right next to each other, he says, please come. And he goes, okay. And I said, ditto, if you hear any weird banging on my room, like if, you know, a bunch of people come in and want to clean us like a deer. Mm-hmm. So I fell asleep and I woke up and it was like six in the morning and there was light and I wanted to get the hell out of there. So I, I, I went to his room. He had already left. I don't know if he left during, the, I never saw him again. I mean, I hope he was okay. I hope they didn't yeah, yeah. drag him out in the middle of the night and decide to like mountain stuff him because they wanted to keep him around forever or something. But it was snowing and I'm like, oh my God. And I just got into my car and I had a four wheel drive vehicle and it snowed the entire way back on 80. Mm-hmm. And it was just enough that I could make it back. And it was the weirdest, that was like, that was the most bizarre gig I ever did. I actually did a couple of others that were weird, but that one was pretty bizarre. So let me ask you this. Was that a Steve Bix gig? 
No. Um, oh God, I don't want to. Bix was not a fan of mine. Um, I yeah. did. You know, <laughs> I. I uh, all right, I'll be nice. I did. I did one or two gigs for him. The audition gigs, mm-hmm. and one of them was at this country club uh, in in Jersey, right before the Pennsylvania border. Mm-hmm. And he kept telling me, he says, listen, you can't do the stuff you do in New York. You got to be really clean, all right? You got to be clean. You can't curse. If you curse, they'll never use you again. Or these people will kill you or whatever. And he freaked me out. And anytime there was an inhibition put on me, I always had a bad set. So mm-hmm. I did like 10 minutes. And again, I got some laughs. You know, I always knew, but it wasn't a great set. And it was just, you know, he was making me miserable. And he hosted and he was like, dirty as hell and i'm like pissed at him and he's like telling me and he's not funny and and you know i just left i just after my set i says look i'm not hanging around he goes oh you know you should hang around a little bit and i went i just i gotta go so that was my my dealings with with steve bix he was uh, is he still alive i don't even know Uh, that i couldn't tell you i mean because when you were telling me about the because obviously being originally from philadelphia and uh, starting my comedy at 1986 at 17 years old. By the time I was a, an adult adult, I had done a lot of places called Berg right. in Pennsylvania. So the, it was a, a lot Berg. Of- yeah, Phillipsburg. No, 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 no. Phillipsburg <laughs> was New Jersey. That was the one I did. But it was some kind of weird Berg. And I had a weekend, and I did one gig there. And then the night before, I was in... in um, West Virginia in um, Huntington, West Virginia. And, and that gig was actually pretty good. But I think I, I, I featured for a woman named Mother Trucker. Have you ever heard of her? I've heard the name, yes. And, and she was really nice to me. Her whole act was, you got kids? I got kids. What's up with kids? You got a <laughs> truck? I got a truck. You know, and, and they loved it. And, and again, it was one of these, I did this early on, you know, I did comedy from, I quit two years ago. Mercifully. Mm-hmm. I did it from 2003 to 2018. Uh, this was probably 2005 or six, you know, it was very, very early on. It was like, mm-hmm. gigs, you get a hundred bucks, you have to drive 500 miles. And um, I, I did one joke where I referenced something in New York city which was Uh-oh. like, a, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And again, they very politely laughed. But they tell the workers to stop saying you were from New York? Um, no one ever actually did that. I think, okay. well, you know, I was always this big, fat, weird looking guy. I think they just left me alone and figured whatever happens, happens, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> But I just remember I sold a lot of stuff too, and I think it was again all pity sales. I don't know because I had a C, I did a CD. You know, I did everything you're not supposed to do. I did a CD two years into being a comic, and mm. it's not that it wasn't funny, but it was just clips of you know uh, open mic experiences. I mean, it actually, you know, again, I always thought I was mildly funny from the gate, but, but you do still, know I have you do know I have your CD, right? Yeah, yeah, and you listen to it, you know, so it wasn't terrible. You know, the funny thing about it is you don't hear a lot of laughing because it's done at open mics where there's like five or six people in the audience, you know? So, well, 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 comics who listen to it will know exactly, as soon as two seconds in, we'll know exactly where it is. Right, right. You know what right, I mean? Right. It, it, you know, and 
But it's like you 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 reference mother trucker and people of that nature. But the funny thing about it is, if you look at road gigs, and uh, let me to, for the audience, it's like when comics we go to different cities, and some comics tend to stay closer to the bigger cities. You get a more metropolitan audience. In my home state of Pennsylvania, you have places like Philadelphia, sixth biggest city, Pittsburgh, another big city. Right. And in the middle of the country, the, the, Pennsylvania is essentially much like Ohio. They call them bellwether states for a reason, because the construction of the state is very similar to the actual construction of the country itself. Right. A lot of people on the coasts, not a lot of people in the middle or in the, or in the top. It's like a T in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania where there's, people, there's not a lot of people. Basically, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh decide who wins the state usually. Right. And um, so when you go to the middle of the sec- to the country, you to the middle of the state, it's just like in the middle of the country. And as I found out. It's an entirely different performance style. Right. <laughs> right. And what? there are people that stay in that. They, they like, I don't like the big cities. I know people that are making uh, 70, 80, 90, 100 grand playing the, 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 the middle. They don't care about the West. Think about it. If you can make a 70 to $100,000 talk doing the kind of jokes you were just referring to with Mother Trucker, people love you. They like it. You're making 100 grand or 60 grand or 40 grand. It's better than working in an office. It's, you're making the same money. You do what you love to do, and you could be home in three hours. I respect it. <laughs> you know? Know, but it is but it is sort of miserable because, you know, yeah. it's funny. I, like I said, I did a bunch of gigs. You know, um, there were some people that really dug me and, and could have mm-hmm. I, I gotten a lot more work doing road gigs. I really didn't want to do a lot of road stuff. I wanted to stay in New York. You know, I wanted to do television, and I did a little mm-hmm. television. And, you know, doing these road gigs, you're not really going to do that stuff. But, yeah, no, I know guys who write. They eked out a living doing 300 days a year on the road. You know, I mean, God knows what they're doing now. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, well, I know there's places like I know a guy in New Jersey, a really nice guy. I don't want to mention his name. And uh, and not, and I like him, but I just, you know, I don't want to get him into trouble but he's doing yeah. these shows in New Jersey and they're like outside shows, but they're intense and it doesn't look like it's really outside. And, you know, being in a tent is still like being indoors. And, you know, I don't know exactly how kosher these shows are and I wouldn't do them. I mean, you know, forget about the fact that I just got sick of it and, you know, there's a million reasons. I don't think I have to tell you. Mm. But, you know, now it's, it's probably just, just, you know, well, it's a miserable time for everyone. So, you know, I just don't understand people trying to do something that's miserable to begin with and then putting themselves at risk, you know, but I don't know, whatever. It, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a weird thing because, you know, within two hours of where I'm sitting right now in any direction, maybe two or three hours, there's 45 million people. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Same thing. So, you know, and you're, you're, you're what, probably 60 miles from me, 50, 60 miles yeah, from me. So yeah. Well, 90, 90 miles. But Philly, you know, Philly, Philly's an hour and a half. I love Philly. Mm-hmm. I, I actually go to Philly to have fun. It's been a couple of years. I mean, one, Philly's got a great food scene. I mean, incredible. I mean, it, the Reading Market, come on, you could go in there and gain 100 pounds, you know? It's it's weird. It, it's, it's, it's a strange thing because... You know, I, I noticed that there is, if you live in one of these big cities, like a big, big city, like the one you live in, you could literally 
you know, like I said, your city is is down down in Philly. It's about a million and a million six, and in New York, you're where you are. That's about what nine, ten million people. Yeah, I mean, there's probably more people than they say there are, but and a lot of yeah. people ran away. But who knows? It's a lot of people. And there's New Jersey, but you know, oh, I'm in New Jersey right this second. But there's and in New Jersey, you know, there's a state between both areas. So there's right. <laughs> you know a chunk of people there. No, it's a so, ton of people. I know. Yes, yeah, a boatload of people. So if you can, you know, if you can find a niche, you know, everybody wants to do national this, national that. But it, let's be honest, it all it, everything has become decentralized. You don't necessarily have to be in New York. You don't necessarily have to be in Los Angeles, because I'm seeing people online doing things online from their damn house, or not too far away from their house, and they're collecting hundreds of thousands of maybe uh, millions of people sitting in a damn chair doing their thing it's amazing it's you know it's a lot of younger people though let's let's be honest i mean not that Mm -hmm. not to sound ageist but you know um you don't see a lot of older i mean there are some you know older people but i don't know i I, older people don't want to do it (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it's just yeah it's I don't understand it. I don't get it. You know, it's funny. It's like, so just, you know, I came up with the angry Bob thing, but it's the comic idea that I came up with was, mm-hmm. was not the idea that other people thought I was going to be. In other words, so a, a lot of people like bookers and, and, you know, people who wanted to manage me or whatever, they had a particular idea of the trajectory I should take. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to take that trajectory. And they all said the same thing. They said, you, you're, you know, in, in a certain way, you came up with this idea. This is your idea. You've got to go this route. If you try to go any other route, it's not going to work. And I said, I just want to do my own thing. And they just said threw their hands up and said, you're not listening to us. So good luck to you. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, well, let me, let me, let me hit you with this. Because I, 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 I was, and I, I know I, I'm like I'm rambling and I'm being vague. I'm sorry. I don't talk a lot these days, so if I start sounding retarded, folks, I apologize. You know. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about it is, is when you deal when you're dealing with agents, managers, and people of that nature, some people are. I mean, there's a handful of them that are literally almost like artists themselves. They can well, sit back, they think see what are. you're doing, figure it out. You know what I mean? Right. But most of the people that I've run across, basically. It's like when I was in L.A. and I would watch people on stage and, we, you know, I was up there with a couple of friends of mine. We were getting standing ovations. Right. In, in Los Angeles. I mean, just standing ovations all the way, like back to back to back. And there would be people that would come in. But literally what would happen is they would come in and they would fit a, a slot. You know, like when you were a little kid, you'd have a little circle, a little square, a little star, and you pop, you'd pop them into the little, into the little wood peg, pegs. Right, right, right. They'd, they'd sit back and they'd watch and they'd go, I need a big fat guy right, right. in the show. I need a woman who in the show. I need an angry black guy. Oh, I need a nerdy black guy. Pigeonholing, yeah. A pigeon, and if you right, if yes. you fit into that slot perfectly, you got snapped up. Well, it, it didn't matter if people were begging you not to leave the stage. And that's when I realized what exactly what it was. It's like, oh, I get it. I, I mean, it's like I figured this out like 35 years, 30 something years ago. Right. I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. it you know, it's like, you know, well, this is basically. Because I'm literally, you could literally get a standing ovation in front. There's people sitting there with notepads, listening to the people behind them, 400 people behind them, standing and cheering, begging you not to leave the stage. And they're looking back like, wow, that was incredible. And someone will walk on the stage and, and go, hey, guys, 
let me tell you something. My wife's crazy. Let me tell you how. Right. And he like a dude on television. And the crowd to give him a little titter. <laughs> right. And you see them huddling around the guy in the corner. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell is this? You, you know, it's it's funny, and you'll know this if you ever a performer, a comic, or an actor, mm-hmm. and the first thing they say is how unique you are. That's that's <laughs> that. That's literally they're basically saying, "I can do nothing with you. Go go away." And do you know how many times I used to do these shows? And I was one of the funniest show comics, if not the funniest comic. Because, again, it was the way, you know, a performance is, you know, your look, the performance, what you're saying, you know, I mean, I knew how to belt it out. I mean, you know, you've seen me and, and, and you know, I've, I, there are times I've done really bad and sometimes I've done great, just like every comic on the face of the earth. But mm-hmm. whenever they say, and, and I had this with acting a lot too, which is even more heartbreaking, when they say you're unique, it's their way of saying that we can't pigeonhole you. And if mm-hmm. they can't pigeonhole you or typecast you, they don't want to know you exist. You require more effort. See, the thing is, the payoff to someone who's unique is explosive. Yeah. If it pays off, you get a Seinfeld size show or a Cosby size show, or a show that just destroys everything else. But that's what but it requires a lot of work. A million. And let me tell you, see, here's another thing. I don't know if you see this in Philly, but what I saw in New York and it's it's something a lot of civil. I like to use the term civilians. I don't know if you mm. use that for non comics. The civilians, yep. yes, I do. That <laughs> civilians don't understand that a majority more more than you can. And you know, a lot of people would say this sounds like sour grapes. It's not because I'm the kind of person I talk to people. I talk to people afterwards. I try to get to know people. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who were doing what we were doing, especially in New York, and I'm sure in L.A acting and comedy who came from very, very wealthy families who Mm -hmm. didn't have to work, who basically could put their all into doing this and didn't have to worry about making a living and could fund their own projects. I mean, I knew this girl, nice girl, pretty girl, sweet girl, liked her, talented, no way. At the best, she was mediocre copy of every uh, Sarah Silverman knockoff comic. And, and, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't want people to think, I don't want women to think I'm one of those comics that say women aren't funny. Let me tell you something. Some of the funniest comedians I knew were women, okay? But they were funny because they were original. They were raw. There was this one girl, and I, I, again, I forgot her name. And and we were friends until we got into some weird fight. She was a little bit of a mental case. And I'm not saying I'm not. But every time she performed, if I ever saw her at a show or at a mic, I always wanted to see her because she was so fucking original. It was just incredible. But you know what I'm talking about. And the thing is, it's like, you know, this business is, is it's a business. And it's a multi-million dollar business. So, you know, if you, there are a lot of people in this country with money and if you're, you know, a little sonny or daughter who's got money and got a little dream, you know, you gravitate to this business and this business loves you. If you're going to produce plays or even make sitcoms or who the hell knows what you're going to do. But, you know, there are a lot of people who survive and have gotten places. I mean, you know, look, I'm not saying Julia Louis-Dreyfus is an incredibly talented person. 
and and I loved Veep, and she was great in Seinfeld. But the early on, did it hurt that she was part of the Dreyfus family? You know, the investment firm, multi-billion-dollar mm-hmm. family, and Nick Kroll, another guy. I don't find him as talented. I'm not really a big fan, but I know people like him, and he's obviously talented. But he comes from Kroll Construction. Another multi-billion dollar family, I'm just saying, and there's a lot of other stories like that. And, and again, I'm not saying these people aren't talented, but I knew a lot of really talented people. I knew people who could have could have um, um, completely run circles around Seinfeld, who had no money. They had wives or husbands, and they had children, and they had jobs, and they were still out there. You know, trying to be like Mrs. Maisel, who I, I don't get into that. I'm not, I don't know, people find it funny. I don't, whatever, it's no big deal. But that's not realistic that you're some poor schnook who has a real civilian life and you're trying to be a star. And I knew people had to drop out because they wanted to keep their family. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, people have to understand that. And that's not sour grapes. That's that's reality, you know, and whatever it is, what it is, you know, uh, according to our illustrious president who uses that expression for 200,000 dead people, I'm using it for stupid comedy. So, well, the thing is, I, I noticed that there's differences. That, that I, I always tell, tell people, I say there's levels to this game started out in Philly. And before I went to L.A., I was in New York. Right. And I was here. It, well, I was, well, actually, I did a lot of stuff in New Jersey, too, but mostly downstate down in Philly few miles south of Philly. Um, so when I would go in Philly, I would get on stage maybe, you know, four times a week. Right. I went up to New York and I was hanging out with comics up there and they were just dragging me from club to club. And I noticed I'm hitting five or six places a day. Yep. In a day. So I'm sitting there going, so they were getting exponentially more stage time than I was getting. So I was as funny, but not as smooth. After three months of that, and I stayed up there all the time. And then I went back down to Philly and they noticed the difference in me automatically because I had 10 times as much stage time. So I was just back. So you could literally take a bit that you wrote Monday morning. And by the end of Monday night, you've done it five or six times. New York. Put it right into the act. New York is the best place. I mean, again, forget about now. So mm-hmm. what is, has been the best place to start a comedy career. You can literally hit four or five mics a day in New York. It was, it was really, and I, I didn't, and at the time I didn't, I, obviously this is like 1986. So at the time I was still, so that's six, when seven, you started old. in 86. Yeah. How I was old 17. were you? If you don't mind me asking. You were 17. So you, you know, you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to shock you in a minute. I don't mind at this point. You started at the right age, 17. All right. And, and I started at 40. That's usually your dead four years by then. It's really weird. I mean, it, I mean, well, well I, when I, and, and the reason I brought the New York and Philadelphia comparison up was because it was it was just to solidify what you had just said about being in L.A. Right. I, if you go to L, to Los Angeles and, and I never went, I never performed in Los Angeles. I had an opportunity, but I didn't go out there. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a different animal. It, it really is different because. It's it's uh, I mean it's not like I didn't like it. I mean I lived there for the '90s, so I, I did like it. But the thing you about it was, did you do any acting? 
Uh, I I did a little bit, but it was like nothing. It was like no television. I mean, I, all my television was done before I went to Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> you know because what I mean? You're, you're, you know, you just, just, you know, uh, people, you know, they obviously listen to your podcast. You're hysterical. And I remember seeing you at, at the Spaghetti Warehouse. You're not only hysterical, you had a real telegenic look to you. And I don't know if I told you that, but, you know, again, look, it is what it is. I just say this, you know, the 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 winds of of show business but uh i mean i think you could have and maybe could still have a tv career i'm just saying you know well i, I just want to so first of all i just want to say thank you for the compliment i appreciate it it's true you and know me i'm not complimenting anyone unless it's true that's know? why that's why i appreciate it because i know you would not make anything like that up. <laughs> no, i'm a total douchebag <laughs> but it's, it's just that it's just that when i was in los angeles there were people that were out there that literally like you were saying had even if they didn't have super rich parents, they did have parents that could say to them, you know what? You got three years, kid. They had support. They had yeah, support. It, they I, mean, had I know people that literally their parents said, you got three years. After that, you bring your ass back to whatever and you get your ass back into school. But you got three years. And, you and they you didn't have to do years? anything except schmooze and work. So they got to literally, it was like, like the New York thing. Yeah. They got to be in 10 times as many places as you could be yep. because you had to, you know, get a, do a regular job out there. Right. Right. And the only way I, you know, when I, when I started at the stupid age of 40, I had my own little business going. So I was lucky in that I could be like that 17 or 18 year old kid and do whatever I want. Um, and, and I, I look, I managed, Hey, Hey, I'm, you, you can turn on HBO go or HBO and you can see me on two episodes of bored to death anytime. And all that, you know, TV stuff, the, the CNN and the MSNBC. So, you know, in my own little retarded way, I did get somewhere, but it just wasn't as consistent. It wasn't consistent enough to actually take me to the next level, but you know, it that's is. What I, that's, that's the thing I want to ask you too, because right. You know, you started at 40 doing stand-up comedy. And I know other people that have started. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield didn't blow up until he was until he was middle age. No, he started at 42. But also, and, and look, Rodney is one of one of my touchstones, okay? Nothing mm -hmm. against Rodney. But Rodney was a successful clothier, and he bought his own club. So mm -hmm. that's how he started. And, and, and I'm not taking anything away from him. He's fucking great. But he did have his own club and he did have the money to run the club. And what he used to do is he used to invite uh, all these, you know, he, he, he did the Tonight Show early on and he would just say, hey, guys, want to come to my club? I'll give you some free steaks. Come on down. And, and he was brilliant. He would invite the Rat Packers. He would invite big comics and actors to say come to my club you'll eat and drink for free you can watch me do comedy you can watch the comics and you know actors love having their asses kissed and love free mm -hmm. shit and i'm saying that's how he did it you know and and being super talented mm -hmm. well what i want to ask you is like that's a weird thing see anybody that starts that picks up the microphone for the first time it's a really it's an interesting thing to do because there's not really that I mean even though when you do comedy you see comics everywhere but when you think about the grand scheme of things and the amount of people that do other jobs and I'm not talking about everybody that goes to an open mic night and tells six jokes and say I'm talking about people that actually have paid light bills with jokes <laughs> uh, you know what I mean yeah. so what made you 
pick up the microphone for the first time? Because everybody okay. has a different story about why so, they did it. So here's here's my story. Okay, my entire life I was a frustrated actor, artist, comedian. I, I took acting classes when I was seven years old, and I got thrown out of them for upstaging the other actors. I did every time I went to summer camp, I was always in the stage production. I still remember this song we sang in this one where I played Dr. Frankenstein. It was a musical about Dr. Frankenstein. Mm. Um, I did acting. I did a little acting in the tw when, when I was in my 20s. I worked for Troma, the company that made the Toxic Avenger. I was almost in one of the Toxic Avenger movies, but they mm. told me to show up. Uh, in New Jersey at six in the morning to be wearing a suit, to bring a bicycle and be prepared to have both of them ruined. And I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> so of course I didn't show up and they fired me. Mm -hmm. um, I did some stand up and some improv. And by the way, I like to say that improv is cabaret for people who can't sing. <laughs> yeah. And I did yeah. some <laughs> I, oh, I love denying. Oh, what are you? I, I'm not a I'm not a ship's captain. What are you insane? Anyway, <laughs> I, I did some improv in my late twenties and early thirties. I was out of work for a couple of years. I've had a very weird, strange life. And then I got a very good job in the graphics business uh, that was big in the nineties. And for five or six years, I worked at night. And then I left and I started my own business and it took a couple of years. And I finally said, look, I got to get this going again. Like I said, I did a little comedy in my twenties. I did a little comedy in my early thirties. I did a couple of open mics. I did open mics at the New York comedy club. The one that was on second Avenue. Do you remember that? The original one. Mm -hmm. And you know who was doing open mics at the time? Do you remember a guy? I I, I think his name was Wheels Parisi. He, yeah, Michael Wheels Parisi. Yeah. He was, okay, he was he was uh, just in case people don't know, he was Dice's opener, and he would come and do this open mic, this miserable open mic at the at the the first New York Comedy Club was a very very strange place, and he would be there, and I don't remember exactly what I did, but he was on stage, and I heckled him. I heckled him. He was oh. telling a really old, obvious joke. And I heckled him and I told the punchline. And he just stared at me, didn't say a word. And there were like five or six other comics in the audience. And no one, you know, like, like, oh, my God, they couldn't believe I did that. He just got off the stage and he walked right out. He just kept walking. And someone says, do you know who that was? And I said, yeah, a really terrible comic. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> And I never saw him again. And you know, I guess he didn't. That was yeah. That was that was uh, when I used to go up to. Uh, well, I want to hear more about about your story first. But yeah, yeah. You know, I I used to hang out up at Pips in Sheepshead Bay. I I you know what I as angry the angry Bob years were two thousand three to two thousand eighteen. So at the very oh, god, moment, Pips was oh, god, still wait, there. Yeah. Oh yeah. god. So <laughs> yeah, and, but uh, go back to go back to your story though. Oh, so all right, so. Um, okay, so, and also, this also ties in, I've had a terrible weight issue my whole life, all right? And when you knew me, when I was Angry Bob, um, uh, my weight, I weighed as much as 650 pounds, okay? Um, if anyone's worried about me, I weigh about 250 now. I lost 400 pounds, and I did it myself. I didn't do it with surgery. Nice work, my friend. Thank you, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting to my, 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 I, I, I 
I had lost 400 pounds in 2010 to 2012. And then over an eight year period, I put on about 100, 120 pounds. And last year, thank, thankfully, before the stupid coronavirus, I started losing again. And now I'm down to the lightest I was recently. And I'm about 50 pounds away from my goal. And I'm just going to go for it. So, you know, nice. yeah, good. But um, but anyway, so in 2001, 2002, this is before I started doing comedy again. I was at that 650 level and I said, look, I got to lose weight. You know, this, this sucks, you know? So I started losing weight. And by, uh, when I, when I did come, my comedy, uh, my first, my first outing is angry, Bob, July, June 9th, uh, 2003, of course, at the New York comedy club. And I weighed about 450. So I had lost, uh, 200 pounds. I, I, I did it on my own. I was like doing vegetarianism. I was doing, deal a meal. I don't know what I was doing. I was just doing whatever. And it worked a little bit. And um, yeah. And I just said, screw it. You know, I'm 40. Let me give it a shot. Let me give it the last shot. You know, after being a frustrated actor, comedian, want to be performing my whole life. Let me see if I can finally do it. And, and here's the funny thing. I, I like a character. Okay. A, a, a character can be just a more amplified version of you. I, I, I have no problem with that. I, I think in comedy, that should be fine. Mm -hmm. Coming up with a wacky name is fun. You know, because I call myself Angry Bob, it doesn't mean I was going to be an angry act the whole time. I don't know. I was just angry. And maybe I wasn't always angry. See, it was the biggest mistake in the world because I pigeonholed myself in the minds of the other comics and the bookers and everything that I was going to be the kind of comic they thought I was going to be, but then I was doing whatever I want. But here's the interesting thing. I originally signed up on the sheet at the New York comedy club in 2003 is crazy Bob. I don't know. I just signed up <laughs> so at the last minute. The guy who was bringing me up this very funny guy. I don't know if you know a guy, a black comedian, Darnell Houston, really, really sounds very sweet guy. And he, he said, okay, our next comic is something Bob. I can't read your handwriting. So at the <laughs> last minute, I changed it from crazy Bob to angry Bob. I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> they said angry Bob. Okay, folks, he's angry. He's Bob. It's angry Bob. <laughs> and the rest is just a horrible history. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I worked the circuit. I did all the open mics. I did shows. I started getting a little paid here and there, you know. Uh, I mean, people dug me, you know. And it just, it started going weird where it started going uphill and downhill for me when I started getting somewhere. So the pivotal year was 2008, five years later. I did Last Comic Standing. And I got as far as the New York audition and I got on the show. I was actually on the show and mm -hmm. I did the audition and Oh, it's, it's such a long story. Um, I, I had, I got good reaction from the audience. The audience was a made up audience. It was all like soap stars. They actually got these beautiful people. They hired the audience because they wanted a particular reaction out of them. And mm -hmm. even people who didn't like me, but I made them like me, but there was one joke that I, and I forgot what it was. It was, it, it, it may have had a rape theme to it. <laughs> I'll leave it. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
whatever, you know, it was, it was the early two thousands. You could still do mm-hmm. it like that. So that fell flat, but, um, they, uh, the last joke got a, got a standing O or, or not a standing O it got a, it got an applause break, applause break. So when they showed the episode, they actually showed me and they showed that one joke. They could have made me look terrible, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was very grateful for that. But then afterwards, when the producers or someone came up to me and said, Bob, we love you. We think you'd be great on the show, but we already have a fat guy. So you're not moving forward. We just want to let you know. And this is where anyone knew what was going on. So in other words, it was already in the cards. They knew. Mm-hmm. Remember you were saying that they, you know, that they depend. It, it didn't matter what you were saying on stage. The the powers that be were already knew what they were going to do with you. Mm-hmm. And there you go. We're so, we're basically uh, as as performers. People people think that sports and entertainment are different things. They're not different things. You are a running back, you know, and just like running backs, usually when they turn thirty they drop kick their asses right out of the league because they think they've been beaten down enough. You know, in, 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 uh, in entertainment, it's like we have certain holes to fill. You fill that hole until we, you know, and then it's time for you to go unless you can sh- change your shape and slide into another hole. <laughs> you know, if you, if you can't figure out how to change from a block to a star, from a star to a circle, your ass is going to be on the table and we're going to be playing with the other pegs. But here's the thing, the difference between comedy and sports, sports, still there's a meritocracy there. If you can't mm-hmm. play the sport, you know, you're gone. I'm sure there's favoritism, you know, there's nepotism and all the isms under the sun. But at the end of the day, if you can't perform, you're out. In comedy, it really isn't a meritocracy. It should be. But you know that there are a lot of people who get picked to go forward again because they're the right look or they have the right temperament or they know the right people and that there have been people who are very, very, very funny who never get the nod because they're just odd men out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and they, do, they do hit you with the musical chairs action. They and, definitely and do just, that. Just to continue with my, my sad tale. Uh, <laughs> so after Last Comic Standing, um, I got on CNN. And and doing doing satire, it was a couple of months later. And the funniest way, I'll tell you exactly how I did it. So I used to leave the news on when I was sitting at home and I was watching CNN and they had some comic I'd never seen before. And and the, the host, this guy, Rick Sanchez, who was very nice to me, he was prodding this comic to make humorous comments about things. And the comic was sitting there like a lump. And, you know, he was like saying, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And the comments going, well, that's terrible. And and I looked at the look of frustration on, on Rick Sanchez's face. So I called CNN. I basically, you know, I, I would, it's, it's a crazy things I would do. I would start, I would find fax numbers and I would start calling fax numbers, but add different numbers. And sometimes you'd get people. And I ended up getting the newsroom. And I said, um, my name is Justin Glick from Glick talent agency and we've got the comic you want uh let me have rick sanchez's people uh he was very upset with the comic he had today so they put me on with rips rick sanchez's producer (laughs) and i just said hi my name is angry bob i'm a new york city comedian i was on last comic standing i'm hysterical why don't you have me down sometime i love rick i watch your show all the time just give me a shot 
I think he'll really like what I do. And they did. And they had me. And, you know, um, actually, none of that stuff's on the Internet right now. I, I pulled down my YouTube channel for the time being. Uh, one day I'll put it back up again. But anyway, so they had me down. It was early 2009. And, you know, it was jokes about um, about the inauguration, about Obama, about Blagojevich, about, you know, Sully Sullenberger. And and it was great. It, I just it just hit. And they had me a bunch of times. They had me like four or five times. And I said, oh, my God, I'm, I'm making it. And I even said to myself, if I need three months, they weren't paying me anything. I was doing this for free. They would send a car and they would <laughs> take me to the Time Warner Center. And I said, I need three months of this. And after four or five weeks, they just they said, um, we're going in a different direction. And I was never told every time I did it, they said it was great. They loved me. I was getting great reaction on Twitter. And I never was told what happened. There was a, a rumor that I tried to plug my, I, I also made a bobblehead, which you can't get right now. But at some point, if you can ever find my talking angry bobblehead, it's an insane collectible. I think there's some, some guy on eBay has been trying to sell one for a year or two for 50 bucks. But um, anyway, so I, I sent Rick Sanchez a bunch of angry Bob swag. I had a shirt, I had a bumper sticker, I sent him the bobble. So he showed the bobble. And I said, hey, Rick. Is there any way I could tell the people at home where they can get it? <laughs> and he said, next week. And strangely enough, there was never a next week. Oh. But, oh, but, yeah. but here's the thing. That could have been it. And if it was it, hey, mea culpa, mea culpa, whatever, you know. But from what I was told from someone who I did speak to weeks later is, remember D.L. Hughley had a show? Yeah. CNN, he had a show at the same time on CNN. So CNN was trying a little flirtation with comedy satire. And I guess the big thing was D.L. Hughley because he was obviously getting paid. And the little thing was having Stupid Angry Bob with Rick Sanchez. So both of us were given the boot at the same time. And what someone told me was there was some executives from CNN, you know, all from the South, probably friends of Ted Turner, who turned on the TV, they saw D.L. Hughley making jokes, they saw this big fat guy who looked like the Travelocity, you know, lawn mower, whatever, and said, what the fuck is this? We're not Comedy Central, we're news. We're, we're news. And basically got rid of both of us. And again, I'm not speaking for D.L. Hughley whatsoever. He's fucking phenomenal talent. But I'm saying it's just a coincidence that both times they had these brief flirtations with humor and they got rid of... And then... Here's the thing. I know for a fact that even while I was on it, all these comedians and agents and managers and some big people, because while I was doing it, remember, I did it for four or five weeks and I was talking mm -hmm. to people. I was talking to the producer. I was talking to the associate producer. I was talking to this one handler. Very nice people. They were very nice to me. And one week, I think it was three weeks in, said, hey, Bob, I guess a lot of your, your, your fellow New York comics want your job. Because apparently they were getting calls. They said, oh, you got Angry Bob? Angry Bob sucks. We got a better guy. <laughs> so that's, that's another thing I was going to say is everyone liked me. No one had a problem with me. I got along with everyone until all of a sudden I started looking like I was going someplace. And then all of a sudden, not to my face, no one did it to my face, but behind my back, I started hearing some real nasty shit being said about me. 
And there was, um, again, I'm not going to mention because I don't want to give these people press, but there was this hipster open mic, okay? The proto-hipsters. And a lot of these people have careers now, okay? A lot of these people have really good careers now. But there was this little hipster incubator scene around 2008, 2009 in the city. And I heard through the grapevine that they were going up on stage like every week while I was doing my CNN thing. And they were just blasting me saying, what the fuck is Angry Bob doing on CNN? What are they stupid? Why is he there? So there was a whole bunch of hipster comics and their acolytes who just immediately hated me. And, and anytime they could, you know, try to do me in whatever, say shit about me. And I, you know, you know, as, as the years progressed, there were times where I was booked for things and then I got unbooked and then people would say, Oh, I heard you're difficult to work with. And I said, I'm not difficult to work with saying this stuff. And the thing is after that, I did two episodes of HBO's Bored to Death, a great show starring Jonathan Ames, who's an incredible writer, actor, producer, who happened to be a huge fan of mine, who used to see me at one of the greatest open mics in the city that doesn't exist, this place called the Bowery Poetry Club, where I did some of my most unique sets, where Jim Gaffigan used to see me and used mm-hmm. to like me, and he put me on his show that he had on, on TV Land, on an episode and he liked me. So all the actually talented people, you know, saw that I had a value and did something with me, but all the little people scraping to the top, you know, needed to try to pull me down as much as possible. That's, that is, it's just, it's an amazing thing to watch the whole crabs in the barrel situation happen. Yeah. And, And it sucked because, you know, you need 20 or 30 years to get a business, you know, to get a career going. And the problem is I was already old. You know, once you hit 50, you're dead. If you're not anywhere, even if I'm living to 100, they don't give a shit. You know, it it sucks. You know, I should. why didn't I start when I was 20? Eh, There was reasons. I don't know. I never thought being a stand-up, you know, it was a viable career option. You know, I mean, I wasn't one of these people. I'm going to do it no matter what. And the funny thing is if I had started when I was 20, I'm 57, okay? I'm 57. So if I had started when I was 20, that was 1983. And if you know, you, you know your comedy history, that was around the time of the huge comedy explosion. Mm-hmm. Where, you called it the comedy boom. Yeah, the comedy boom, exactly. And, and you could be doing comedy for a year and you could be making a living because they were opening comedy clubs all over the country and they needed comics desperately. And if I had started in 83, even if I started as myself or whatever, I'm sure within a year or two, I would have been doing road gigs and who knows where my career could have gone, you know? But whatever it is, again, I, I, I'm not saying it again. You you know the expression, so. Yeah, it, it's just one of those. It's, it, it's really weird because I, I see, you know, I, I did some stuff uh, for a guy. I'm, I'm, I was just like you. I'm going to keep names out of it. Right. And I have this thing. I, I'm, I'm one of those people that where if I perform live, I record every single Me show. too. I still have, I have 80%, I have 80% of all my sets either videotaped on, on DV tapes or audio tapes. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause, cause the thing is a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times you don't even listen to it cause you just know that yeah, I just keep... you just did your greatest, you just did your greatest hits package. I don't need to hear that again. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm doing a gig 
for someone and there was a guy on the show there were two people that opened for me okay they didn't expect me to and i'm young at the time so i show up and they're looking at me like who is this punk ass kid <laughs> you know coming in here and they didn't do that well i did exceedingly well right and they got angrier as the week went on yep right yep. and they were mean to me not like overtly mean but like you know like you know, you know like we're the cool kids you can't hang with us not realizing that i don't care right so, <laughs> so i leave the gig i go home and the guy uh calls me up and he goes you know they said you didn't do well they said you were bombing and that's literally the exact opposite of what was happening yep and the guy goes the guy on the show with you was like a rodeo guy he did like a rope tricks and stuff in his act and he said, you, you, you bombed and he hated you and they booed you. And I said, okay, I said, okay, do me a favor. I want you to call him back and tell him I have recordings of every single show. And I could play it for you over the phone because they're stacked on my table right now. And it's obvious where I'm playing. You could listen. To, it, was, it was one of those places where you knew if I played the tape, you would know what place I was playing. I said, I'll just leave it that way. And I said, no, I want you to call him and I want you to call me back and apologize. He called the guy and he told the guy that I had tapes and then the guy's, oh, I must have meant the other guy. You must have meant the other guy? Yep. I'm the only, first of all, I'm the headliner. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm the only black person on the show or in the room. Right. And you confused me with the other guy. Okay. Nice. <laughs> he called back and apologized and sent my money but it's like why would you say I mean if you would just said he did a nice job but it's not for me I wouldn't even have replied to it but he literally specifically tried to say and it wasn't anything to do with it was more along the line of guy comes from another city comes to our town does well does better than we did and I don't like it it shows us why, yeah why would you say I mean it's like because you know, why would you say that? You know, there's small-minded, mean-spirited nobodies in this business. You know, and it was really it was it was like it was and it, and I it was amusing to me. It's like getting pulled over by the police, and they said you ran a stop sign, and you've got a dash cam on the window. You know, it's like well, you ran a stop sign, you just pointed the dash cam. Oh well, uh, that was my fault, uh, my mistake. That happened to me before. Yeah. You know, terrible. Mr. You know, I. No, I no. Look at that. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, no, it's to deal, and and that's what you have to deal with. And you know, just just one quick thing. I have a story just like that, but even worse. And I, again, I'm not going to mention the Booker because he's a small-minded asshole, and everyone would know who he is if I said his name. <laughs> I definitely know who he was, but go ahead. And and so he used to hang out at the comedy clubs. And he would do notes. He, in other words, at an open mic, you're you're doing your stuff, and he would be writing notes for the comics and give the comics notes. Who, what fucking comic wants anyone giving them notes at a goddamn open mic, right? So this guy comes up to me, and he hands me notes, and I look at him and I said, "Are you kidding?" And, and it's like, "Oh, you shouldn't wear a black shirt. Why are you call yourself Angry Bob?" So I said, very interesting. I balled it up and I threw it at him and walked away. <laughs> and someone later told me, you know, he's a booker. And I said, I don't care. Now we go a year or two later, this guy needed me to drive him to a gig and said, uh, what, you know, you'll get it. You'll get a spot. You'll get paid. 
And if you're good, this booker will hire you. And I went, okay, that sounds good. So it was a firehouse gig. And, you know, we've done a million of those. And it was in Jersey. And I, I even went up to the woman around the gig and I said, look, I'm a little dirty. Do you mind? Is that okay? And she said, you could be as dirty as you want. I said, thank you. And I had a great set. I, 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 I had a, I killed, I did 20 minutes. I was featuring and I taped it and I taped it. And the guy went up after me. He's a nice guy. Not very funny. He did about 40 minutes and he didn't do very well. I mean, they laughed, but he's just not a very, you know, very obvious, nothing really interesting. So mm -hmm. the same thing on the way back, we really didn't talk very much. And I know he was upset because it was <laughs> obvious I did better than him. So I called the booker a few days later. And I didn't bring up the I threw the paper at him. That was two years ago. I was hoping he didn't remember and mm -hmm. I called him up and I said, listen, thank you so much for the gig. And I got the $50. You know, the guy gave me the 50 cash. And I said, um, I, I don't know if you spoke to blah, blah, blah. Uh, if he said I, I had a really good set. So the guy goes, oh, well, I heard the opposite, that you actually had a really bad set and you upset a lot of the people there with your dirty language. I would never be able to work with someone like you. So I said, oh, um, that's not true. I specifically went up to the woman. You can ask her. Her name was Deborah. And you can ask her. I asked her if I could be, uh, blue. And she said it was no problem. And I taped it and I want to send you the tape. And he says, okay, send that tape to me. So I sent him a DVD and a few weeks later, he never called me back and he goes, Oh, I didn't get it. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Can you send it again? So, right, I sent it again, and I waited another three or four weeks, and I called him again, and he goes, oh, I've been having a lot of problems. You may have to send it again. So I said to him, he says, you know what? I'm not sending it again. I know you got it, and I know you either saw it or you threw it out, and I would never work for you because you're a fucking asshole, and you can do whatever you want, but you know what? I'm going to be a big star, and you're just going to sit there with your fucking head up your ass the rest of your life, and I hung up on him. It's amazing how people people are afraid of bookers. I'm not. You know, yeah, I was never afraid of bookers. I mean, come on. But <laughs> I, I, I used to love when they, uh, bookers would try to intimidate you. And I remember some guys, listen, if you work that club, you'll never work my club again. Oh, my God. I had a guy, I had a guy <laughs> upstate New York who said, I run Greene County. If you ever work for someone else in Greene County, you're never going to work for, you know, you'll never work in Greene County again. I mean, he like tried to intimidate me and I went, all right, whatever. It's okay. And meanwhile, there was comedy twice a year in Greene County, you know? <laughs> I mean, I always thought that was funny when people would say that, you know, because like, like a person said, I've had people say to me, listen, um, we're in competition with that club. We have a similar audience and our demographics is, no, we would prefer it if you, you know, if you, if you work our club that you don't work that club. They talk to me like an adult, like a grown man with some respect. I go, not a problem, right? You know, because I've had that before. I've had people uh, listen. Um, uh, we, we need see we uh, we're in competition with that club, or you know, and uh, we're, yeah. and I go, okay, no problem. I said, I said, can you offer me certain X number of dates a year? Right. He goes, absolutely. Yeah, that's fair. I said, good. That's fair. done. But <laughs> one guy called me up. <laughs> he called me up. I was working his his competing club. And I hadn't committed to either either one of the groups yet. 
And he goes, listen, I know you're supposed to be headlining their club this weekend. I'll double your money if you cancel on them. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I laughed him off the phone. I'm like, yeah, um, I have a reputation for doing my job, showing up, being a professional, doing a good job, and never lying to people. Right. And I'm going to throw it away for some money. I'm like, do me a favor. Never call me again because I don't trust you anymore. Yeah, no, that's that's not cool. I, I would never do that. You know, I, I know these they're just shady. You know, most of them are frustrated, failed comics. You know that most of the club owners are frustrated, failed comics, and so you have to deal with that mentality. And again, if you're not kissing their ass and you're doing better than they think you should be doing, they just fucking hate you, and all they want to do is destroy you, and it sucks. You know? Yeah. And, and then, by the way, I'm not going to mention any names, but I've also I also got some notes, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And I and I didn't throw the paper, but I said, yeah, sure. And then I walked outside, laughed while I drove home. <laughs> and look, I'm not an ingratiating kind of person. I'm not the I'm not a, you know for a comic, I'm not a real people person. I'm actually sort of a misanthrope, and <laughs> and I have to say, this whole coronavirus has basically proved to me what assholes the human race truly are. But um. But, you know, so so here's the deal. I mean, like me for what I do on stage, like me for my originality and the people, like I said, people like Jonathan Ames or Jim Gaffigan, who's always been a fan and a friend, you know, they like me for my talent, you know, and, and, and they talk to me and they see I'm a real normal person, too. You know, anyway, I got to switch gears. I don't know how long you go, but I have to ask you something. Mm-hmm. And, and this name I'm going to mention. I never actually work with him, but I have a funny story about him. Did you ever work with a booker called the Pickle Man? With the pickle in the middle and the mustard on top, my horseradish is super hot. Yes, I have. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right, so let me just tell you. I'm going to tell you my story, and then you've got to tell me a Pickle Man story. So there was this Jersey comic, really nice guy, who told me about the Pickle Man. And again, when I approached him, he was sort of almost out of the business. This was like, you know, the, the late 2000s, zeros, whatever. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so he said, you got to get in touch with him. Oh, he also told me he pays you in pickles. I mean, apparently he did pay you money too, but he would give mm-hmm. you like a, a barrel of pickles or something. And I said, oh my God, that's so cool. I love pickles. So <laughs> somehow I got in touch with him. And I think I forgot if we talked on the phone or through email. It was a while ago. I forgot. And he basically said, um, listen, you know, I said, so-and-so recommended me. I goes, okay, I need to see a VHS tape. So I said, oh, well, I can't do that. How about a DVD? He goes, oh, I don't have a DVD player. It's got to be a VHS tape. So I said, can I send you a link for a YouTube? He goes, listen, I'm not into any of this computer stuff. See, if you don't have a VHS tape, send me a headshot. So I said, how will you know if I'm funny? Look, I can look at your headshot. And if you're funny... I'll book you, okay? Mm. So I mailed him my headshot. <laughs> and my headshot actually was very funny because I used to wear this, you remember the, the, the black? Yeah, I remember it. <laughs> the, the glasses and whatever. So I sent it to him. And, and again, a month goes by. I get him on the phone. And I said, oh, oh, you. Yeah, you're funny. I'm going to book you. Listen, um, is, this, is, this your, is this your home number? Because I don't call people cell phones, okay? I'm not into cell phones. So expect a call from me really, really soon. I'll have a bunch of dates for you. And I went, okay, that's really exciting. So months go by and I never hear from the guy. And, you know, I, I have like a bunch of numbers that I always call, like this booker and that booker. So I call him up and I get him. 
And he goes, wait, what do you look like? And I said, oh, uh, you know, heavy set with India. Oh, yeah, you're funny. Um, yeah, I'm going to be booking a bunch of stuff real soon. Just sit tight. I'll call you. And I went, okay. And that was it. I never heard from him again. So, yeah, oh, so, so you, you did not work for Steve. I never worked for him. Well, again, like I said, the guy who recommended me, I spoke to a few times. And I think he confirmed at the time he was pretty much out of the business and really not booking much. Okay, so you got you called him late. I called him near the beginning. So let's let's hear let's hear the actual story of working with a booker called the Pickle Man. First of all, ninety percent of the stories I can't tell you. Uh, <laughs> I love it. You know, you know when this fucking thing's over, I'm coming down to Philly and we're going to the Reading Market. We're gonna, you know, sit down, forget about our. I, no, I will tell you. I will tell you the stories when we see each other. You got it. I, and you and you and you're gonna go. Oh, that's why you couldn't tell me. Uh, you 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 you're getting me. I am. We're definitely getting together sometime next year after there's a next. Yeah, I, I put it to you this way. I mean, it's like I it, it, I, I I literally cannot tell some of them. So let's uh, but, uh, ones you can. And how were the pickles? That's the most important. <laughs> but the thing about it was, I I he saw me. He used to have the spaghetti warehouse, the place that we met. Oh, okay, okay, all right. He had it before Stephen Dolly had it. Right. And so he had seen me before, and I didn't know who he was. Hey, is this Mr. Thomas? <laughs> that sounds like him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're funny. Uh, would you like to work for me? I'm Steve. I go, I said, uh, and I, heard, I said, yeah, sure. And I talked to a bunch of other guys. He always paid. He always paid the money. He right. never stiffed me. Right. And when he said he was going to pay you, he paid you. And it's just that the, the the thing was he he did an act and he he would write he had a, a a bicycle with a toilet on top of it right and that's how he would enter the stage and uh, oh <laughs> and then he would do that song with the pickle in the middle and the mustard on top you know because oh he sold pickles to the venues if, if from what i understand that's how he got his comedy rooms he'd move into the comedy place via his condiments oh god that's so funny and then when he got in with me go oh, by the way i book comedy and he got a pretty nice budget for, I mean, for a, a VFW hawk. He, he booked a lot of those. By the way, that, I, that, that's the name of his autobiography, From Condiments to Comedy. That would be, that would be the movie <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> Netflix, limited series, six episodes. <laughs> you know? and, and I did some gigs with him, and he gave me, he, gave, he paid me in cash, you know, and by the way, if the IRS is listening, yes, I paid my taxes. Of course, he paid me all and then he he uh, he didn't he didn't he would pay you what he said he was going to pay you, which I was cool with. I didn't mind the money because you know it was I mean, none of them was that far away. You got paid. You came home with the bread, fine. Right. But he didn't give you pickles or whatever condiment, you, oh, whatever you like. Already paid you in pickles too. Damn it. No, he gave you the money. But in addition to the money, if he liked you, he'd go, hey, uh, I got something for you. I said, uh, the money was fine, Steve. No, no, no. And he'd go, he opened up the back of his truck. What do you like? Pickles, mustard. I got all of these things. I said, uh, he goes, no, what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you some horseradish. And I go, all right, I like horseradish. Nice. I'm going to make it special for you, though. What happened, he, had a, he had a seasoning for the, for the horseradish where you're supposed to, if you put a drop, like literally a drop in it, and you close the top and you shake it up, that's the way it's normally supposed to be made. But he said, for you, I'm going to make it special. So he took the entire dropper. Oh, no. 
put it in, and I didn't know how hot it was. I mean, oh I my god! So I had it in my refrigerator, and I had some relatives over. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm upstairs sleeping. One of them's on the couch sleeping downstairs, and I hear someone downstairs. And you know, and you know, you know comics. Sometimes if you stay out till five in the morning, you sleep oh. till like ten or eleven. Yep, 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 yep. Well, I, I'm 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 about, I'm I'm in the process of waking up, and I hear someone downstairs. Oh, ooh, oh God! <laughs> and at the time, it was like home invasions were a thing. Oh no! I'm, I grab a bat and I'm running downstairs. <laughs> and as it turns out, one of my young relatives wanted to put some horseradish on his sandwich, which is no big deal. It was in the refrigerator. That's what it's for. Right. But he put the amount you would put if it was made normally. Oh no! And he put, and it was like, it was so hot that when you took the top off, if you smelled it, your eyes would water. Oh, no. And so he put it, he wasn't paying attention. He put a whole bunch down and he took a mouthful of it and he spit it out, but it was too late. Uh, yep. It literally, his, his, he, his face, keep in mind, my relatives are like me, black people. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> right, so his face was still red. Oh, Jesus. His right. eyes were, he was, his water was shooting out of his eyes, his mouth. I had to get him bread, milk. <laughs> and I called Steve and I'm like, um, Steve, um, a new mouth. Yeah, I was like, his, his mouth was on. I was like, I didn't have to. He, he was like, I was thinking of taking him to the doctor. You know, he was a grown man, but I was like, I'm going to take you to the doctor. He said, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, God. But I said, dude, I thought somebody had broken into the house or something because I saw the bat. And I go, yeah, I'm like, damn. And so I call up Steve. I'm going, Steve, um, if you ever decide to make a horseradish for someone you like, stick to the drop. Right. <laughs> no more, no more whole, whole dropper. Because I did. I mean, I was I was standing for far away from when he made it for me. If I was standing next to him, I probably would have been like, "Oh, what are you doing?" Oh my god. And, um, that was the only one I can tell you on the air. Uh, well, again, <laughs> like I said. Uh, sometime next year, we're definitely going to get together. And you know, if you ever come to New York, you know, you let me know. We've got some good food up here. But yeah, uh, man, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, picking up the microphone again in 2021. Um, you know what? Is- Maybe I'll join you. I just for shits and giggles because can I um can I tell you the uh, the downfall of Angry Bob? How how everything came to an end? Mercifully. Yes, we'll finish the show with that. Go ahead. I got it. Uh, I was going to ask you that, but you beat me to it. So so again, people have to understand that. Just like any job, whether you're a comedian or you work in an office or you're a doctor or you're a politician, there's two things that go on in every job. There's the job itself, and then there's all the politicking that goes on. So if you work in an office, let's say you're a secretary or you're a clerk or you're a computer operator, and all you want to do is your job, you do your job. But some people feel that they'll get ahead if they, you know, get involved in office politics. If they mm-hmm. start backstabbing people or start chumming around with the right people and denigrating the wrong people. So that's that's comedy. That's the entertainment business. And they're entertainers and especially comedians. Comedian, the comedian being a comic is the most uh, comedy is the most uh, masochistic form of show business. Because it's just you. You put yourself up there naked as a jaybird on stage and and you either sink or swim with yourself. So that's bad enough. And if you like what you're doing and you're good at it, that's great. 
And anytime I was on stage, I loved it. And, you know, generally, if I wasn't being inhibited or if I wasn't told not to curse or not to be so fat or not to sweat on the audience or whatever people said, I had a great set because I would go up there. And, and, and then there were times, like I said, it, it, you know, I did a lot of these weird gigs where I just did I did freeform shit. I did stuff off the top of my head. I mm -hmm. had tapes where I'd done done the bit once, which is good that I have this. So one day. If, it never works out, you know, people hear it or won't, it'll get it all erased after I'm dead. So, but the worst part of comedy, and I think you'll agree with me, is everything else. Dealing with the comics, dealing with the bookers, trying to get booked, trying to get spots, um, 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 all that bullshit. And the worst thing is in a city like New York, where there's so much opportunity, there's also a lot of clickishness, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of this, a lot of that. And, you know, you don't want to do open mics. You also want to do book shows. And I did a ton of book shows. But the problem is, you know, there's so many book shows you can do. And even people who are nice to you, they're not going to book you every time. There were some people who booked me on every show. And then there were people who would say, why are you booking Angry Bob all the time? He sucks. And people would go, oh, oh well, you're right, you know. And then you'd run your own shows. And I hated you. You used to run your own shows sometime, right? Mm -hmm. I hated being a producer. It was terrible. You'd have to get people in. You'd have to bark people in. You'd have to have stand outside the club and beg people to come in. Or you have to have people doing that. And, and you'd have to manage people. And then you'd have to book comics. And you'd have to deal with just so much bullshit. And I used to book shows. I booked shows with a couple of different people. I booked shows myself. It was fucking terrible. I hated it. I booked them in Times Square. I booked them in the village. I booked them on Long Island. I really didn't want to do that. And then you had to trade spots. You had people, new comics who were terrible, who'd say, whoa, book you if you book me on your show. And it's like, I, didn't, I, I you know, I tried to book people I liked. And if you didn't book them, they didn't book you. And you needed to constantly be working. It's one of these things where you constantly have to do sets. And then people leave the business. And then new people come. So, you know, you go from 2003 to 2013. That's 10 years. The comedy, you know, um, the whole scene changes. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. you're even older. You know, I was <laughs> I was 50 then, and you're now dealing with people in their 20s, new people who may not have heard of me, or they've heard terrible things about me, or even if they like me, you're still dealing with people in their 20s. So in 2013, 14, 15, the last five years before I quit were miserable because I, it was hard to get booked on things. Because, you know, a lot of people who booked me weren't, they left the business and new people didn't know who the hell I was. Or didn't want some old, fat, weird guy named Angry Bob on his show. And then comedy changed. It moved from Manhattan to Brooklyn. And that's a big thing because it went from actual comedy to this sort of weird hipster comedy where it's all weird ironies and you can't be funny and you can't be sexist or racist or lookist or or this is, or that is, and and if you're not the right kind of person, you know, you say the wrong thing, they'll start booing you, or they don't get into you, or you know what I mean. And a lot of my humor, I did racial humor, and I did sex humor, but it wasn't, you know, making fun of people. It was just trying to like understand people. As a matter of fact, if you ever listen to my stuff that was about sex or homosexuality or or whatever. It was, it was basically championing this, like saying, I'm proud of gay people that they can actually go out and 
you know, enjoy themselves. I'm fucking miserable. I'm trying to fuck a sandwich. That's not, mm-hmm. working, you know, or, or whatever. I'm not trying to make a joke here. Yeah. You know, all my, all my stuff was, was anti hating people. It was accepting people for what they are and celebrating it, celebrating everyone, no matter who we are. We're all the fucking same. We're all jerks and we should just do what we want and enjoy our lives. And that was the crux of of my act when I talked about stuff like that. And the thing is, a good performer doesn't like to, you know, I mean, I was interviewed, I was on pod, and people says, well, what are you trying to say? So I said, no, 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 watch my fucking comedy. Try to figure it out yourself, you know? You know, an artist doesn't have to explain himself, you know? But anyway. It's, 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 it's really weird because if you remember, if you remember the the conversations, I'm, you know, uh, when, I, when I was doing, in the beginning, the conversations that were had around the table, that's one of the reasons why I have the two podcasts to begin with, right. is the conversations that people had around the table and comedy clubs, especially in the northeast of the country. It's an aggressive style <laughs> of comedy where we would break each other's stones, you know, with viciousness. Right. But we loved each other and we never nobody took it personal. We laugh at it. It was just fucking with each other. I mean, that was the whole thing. I wanted to go on stage and be the twelve year old who whose parents were having a cocktail party and I ran from upstairs. I was I was I was sequestered upstairs in my room and told by my mommy not to come down while the adults are having their cocktail party. And I just boldly ran down in the middle of the cocktail party and shouted, duty, and then ran upstairs. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like when I was just started, I met, I, I, we, I met Emo Phillips. Okay. And he was going, it was, first of all, it was really weird because I uh, still love Emo. I was a big fan. Of, and I had him sign my cassette. That's how long ago. Uh, okay. cassette. Yeah. And um, I, was, I, was, I was like 18 years old almost at the time. And he, he's, he's talking, he goes, he was explaining how difficult it was for him to do that character in the beginning when no one knew who he was because remember how goofy that character was with the wacky clothes and the, and the, and the haircut and now imagine him doing the gigs we did with that character you know what i mean right it would not have gone as well so it's it's just a, it's just a weird thing to um you know to, i don't know comedy's just <laughs> it's like it's not the same thing, and I, I get it. I mean, some of the stuff I, I, I get it. I mean, you know, I mean, but if, if we, if you recorded some of those conversations from back then, everybody at the table, except me, of course, would have lost every job they had right now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, it's like I don't understand. It's comedy. Look, comedy is very subjective. Okay, I could see some people not digging what I do. You know, I once told someone that I knew I was doing well if 25% of the audience loved me, 25% of the audience hated me, and 50% of the audience had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. And and if you tell that to any booker, you're never going to get booked anywhere, okay? But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, they're, they're, I mean they're, 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 like you said, they're a little early in the show. They're, they're, they're a completely different animal, especially well, again, at it's, the beginning it's, level. You know, they, you know, they, you know, comedy, basically, it's, it's it's a restaurant or a bar with some entertainment. And the most important thing is selling those goddamn two drinks or the bowl of nachos or, you know, the watered down bowl of fucking, you know, tartar sauce. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone selling watered down tartar sauce. But um, no, but that's it. So anyway, so so as, you know, my my end date came, 
like in Logan's Logan's run, my my end date, you know, mm-hmm. as uh, my end date came, it just got harder to do these shows. These shows suck more. The Brooklyn Brooklyn shows suck. There was a younger audience. They didn't get me. They didn't dig me. You know, I would go on stage and just basically outwardly insult them and just go up and try to wreck the show. I just didn't give a shit. And another thing was happening, and I'm sure you remember this. So I was doing a lot of road stuff, more road stuff than I wanted to do. Like I said, I wanted to stay in the city and get an acting career going. But um, the money started shrinking because what was happening is by by the mid-teens, by the early to mid-teens, there was this thing where all these millennials, everyone's a comedian. This was social media. This was Twitter. This was Facebook. So everyone's a star. Everyone's a comedian. Everyone who was 18 to 24 was doing open mics and was a comedian. And mm. what was happening is around the country, they were basically getting the, the, the openers and even some of the features from local talent who were doing it for nothing, mm-hmm. for like 20 bucks. And they even cut the headliner money. Like I remember there was this gig I did in Vermont a few years in a row where it was a one night gig. I got $500, which was great for the headline. And they mm-hmm. gave me a room and everything. And then I picked up a gig the next night. It was a one night gig for 500 bucks, which is actually pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember I, 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 they booked me and they says, look, Bob, you know, uh, economics are, you know, we can get guys who are as good as you or whatever, you know, so would you do it for 150? And I said, no, I'm not going to do it for 150. You know, it's a four hour drive and you were giving me $500. And I said, look, I'll do it for 400. And he goes, no, no, it's 150. And I says, okay, I guess I'm not going to do it. And that was happening too. They were cutting the money and it just got more and more fucking miserable. And I was trying to work the acting thing, but that was another issue. I mean, I had an agent and I was doing auditions. I, I did, um, I did a Facebook commercial. No, wait, wait, yeah, no, wait, hold on. Am I, was it Facebook? Um, yeah, Facebook. And it was, it wasn't even a commercial. It was like a weird industrial showing off this, this weird 3d technology. And I played a homeless guy wandering around, um, grand central station. (laughs) And it was incredible. The money they spent on this thing. I was hired as a principal and I think I ended up getting 10 grand for it. I mean, for just four nights work dressed as a bum wandering around 10 grand, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yep. I, wish I, could do that. I wish I could. I think that was one of the last, that was 2000, that was 2017. And I think that was one of the last book. I think I, I did one other thing after that, but it was very little money and everything. But uh, it was, yeah, 2018. Um, I was doing, I was down to doing one or two gigs a month. And, and I was canceling gigs. I was not enjoying going up on stage. It came to the point where they beat the fun out of me. And I wasn't, I, there, the money, the money gigs were sucking. I was being offered $50 gigs. Like it was 15 years earlier and I was turning them down. The city gigs were, were terrible. And, and, and I, I just started canceling gigs. I just didn't want to get up. I just, why am I doing this? Why am I? So the last time I performed, there was this woman who I'm still friends with, really nice chick. She runs these shows. She booked me on every show. She was one of the last people to, to do that with me. Anytime she did a show, I could do her show. 
And I remember even canceling on her once or twice, and I felt terrible. It was like the last minute. I just didn't want to drive into the city for $20, you know? Mm. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I forced myself to go in. It was July 2018, so it was a little over two years ago. And it was at at the Broadway Comedy Club, okay? It was at the small room upstairs, which was a nice room. I, I always like working the Broadway Comedy Club. It was a produced show. And the audience was packed. And, you know, I was brought up and I did 10 minutes. I have it still on my iPhone. It's one of the last ones I kept. And I had a great set. I had a really, really good set. You know, I did some new stuff. I did some old stuff. I did crowd work. You know, I did all the the right stuff. I had a really good set. And I walked off and I remember the host, really nice guy. He's like, pats me on the back. He's, man, you killed. And I said, "Eh, thank you. And I went up to the woman who booked me and I said, hey, thanks a lot. I'm going to take off. And she says, yeah, just let me know about next month. And I said, yeah. And that was it. That was the last time I ever performed. I just just couldn't. It's it's amazing how they have the first one and the last one kind of burns into your memory. Yeah. I have the first one somewhere, too. I have the first one and the last one. It's a nice bookend. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so uh, you you have anything that you want to plug um can someone just send me money because um (laughs) no i literally you know it's funny i had i i got rid of my youtube channel i mean it's it's dormant i could put it back up i got rid of my website i got rid of my facebook um they threw me off twitter because i kept i don't know I, i i kept attacking right wing I'm a bit I'm a bit liberal. I kept attacking some right wing people and I think I called them cunts a few times and they don't like that. So they threw me off Twitter. Uh the only thing I'm on now is Instagram. So I'll plug as Bob Carbo. So Bob Carbo's my name, my acting name, whatever. Bob underscore carbo. Yeah, Bob underscore carbo. So if anyone wants to follow me, I'm just basically putting up pictures of food and, you know, depression. So <laughs> But, um, but, you know, I'm still, I mean, I don't have an agent right now, um, but I still talk to some people and there are some people who, you know, who are big people and, you know, we talk, I'm friends with them and they said, when this is all over, we're going to do some stuff together. And I said, yeah, whatever, I'm around. And when you do your set, man, if you come to the city or even if you do it in Philly, let me know if you want to put me up, I'll do a set too. It'll be, it'll be fucking bizarre. <laughs> it'll be it'll actually be like a it'll be like a like a, a, a like a college reunion almost. It'll be a college reunion to a college nobody would ever want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be a lot of fun. But that's you know I mean yeah nothing else really to plug. Just uh, I really hope Joe Biden wins the presidency. I hope everyone goes out and votes for him, even if he's an old stuttering white man. He's actually not a bad guy and. You know, if we still want to have some semblance of a country and a planet, we need to get you know who out of the White House because it's just fucking ridiculous. Yes, indeed. Mr. Bob Carbo, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you. It's an honor, sir. And I look forward to uh, to seeing you really soon for more of those Pickle Man stories and a weird, bizarre <laughs> night of comedy. Okay, we'll see each other uh, next year. And uh, yeah, I will absolutely. I'm telling you, when I tell you, so and it's not even just him, but some of the other things that I know uh, that I will absolutely never say on the air, right? Under any circumstances, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll I'll, I'll tell you, and you're going to go, oh, okay, right. <laughs>
Oh, one thing I want to add, just in case, I, if he's listening, Wheels, Wheels Parisi was a really nice guy. So I think I did see him once after that, and I think yeah. he knew I was just busting his chops. But he oh, was yeah, a real. Yeah, oh yeah, and and he he is, he is a good dude. I, I hung out with him in Sheepshead Bay uh, <laughs> with a couple of other people whose names I won't mention on the air. Right. Um, and uh, he was always good to me. We had a good time. I haven't seen him in, since then. Right. But he was always cool. He was always very, very cool. And his friends that I hung out with also were also very, very cool. Right. This was way, this was, uh, this was almost 30 years ago, pre-Angry Bob. But again, very, very, very nice guy. So anyway, I so had so much. Feels, if you're listening, we both love you. Okay. Yep. Wheels, you're the best, man. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you coming you're on, best. baby. You take care. Hey, take care, my brother. everybody did i tell you or did i tell you was that fun or what fantastic as always i just want to say very 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 a big very gigantic incredible gigantic thank you to all the new listeners thank you to everybody that's been telling your friends because obviously you've been telling your friends to come back and listen to the show thank you very much thank you to the to the new listeners in all the other countries much love to you all we're gonna have fun thank you for coming back and i hope to see you soon much love to you